The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. What's up, what's up, all my BBW, you fabulous berry-breaking women out there. I'm your host, your girl, AJ Andrews, coming back with my Mella Win. I am so excited to share this Mella Win because it was something that was really hard for me to get through, but this week, I really started winning thinking about getting 1% better each and every day. I was really dreading getting back into training, whether it be the softball training, getting back on the field, or training training back with my trainer, because I just didn't feel mentally ready. And I knew that I was going to face a lot of failures getting back on the field, taking my first hacks, getting back into the gym, really working hard, (laughs) going to get my butt kicked by my trainer. And I had a little bit of anxiety built up to that. And I was like, oh, am I ready to get going? Am I ready to get started? And once I got back on the field, hitting, right? It wasn't going the way that I wanted to go. I didn't feel like I was making contact the way that I should, making the catches I should. And I had to remind myself 1% better. When I was out training, I was out of breath. I did not feel prepared. I almost felt like I needed to prepare for my training, (laughs) prepare for what was supposed to prepare me to be ready to be a great athlete. But then again, I thought to myself, I'm just getting started. This is my day one. And after 100 days, I am going to be 100% better if I just strive for 1% better each and every day. And I began focusing in on what my 1% was going to be. So when I got to the field, instead of being overwhelmed, by me being underwhelming on the field, I decided to focus one thing that I wanted to get better at that day. And every single day, it was something different. One day it was, I want to make sure that my hands are inside the ball. The next day, I want to make sure that my hip is hinged and I'm getting through the ball explosively, right? And I didn't care where the ball went, what was happening. I was making sure that my hip was doing exactly what I wanted it to do, that 1% better. When I went to my trainer and I knew he was about to make me out of breath, Every single day I focused in on how is it I want to go into this with this mentality, regardless of what I'm going through, how hard a workout is. I want to say to myself, just one more. I always want to push one more, one more. Even if you told me, AJ, you just got to do six. I honestly wanted to try seven just because I wanted to get to myself, myself, my mentality to a point where I was doing one more and I was mentally prepared to be one percent better every single day. That is my mellow win. And I truly feel like I am winning in my melanin because it's been a week. So I am 7% better. I'm on track right now to being 100%. I am so excited because your girl is mellow winning. She truly is mellow winning. Earlier this week, I also asked some individuals, some girls on my Instagram story, really anyone could respond, what it meant to them to be a barrier-breaking woman. And I want to share my two favorite responses by some incredible young women about what it meant to them to be a barrier-breaking woman. So Kara responded and she said, it means to stand out, to own and embrace your uniqueness as the queen that I am. Absolutely love that, Kara. For you saying that, You are the queen, knowing that you are a queen, declaring that you are a queen and being confident in exactly what it is that you're saying. Because I think so often, especially women, 
We lack confidence. Even if we feel confident, we don't move forward with that and express exactly how we are and what we feel. And for you to own and say you are a queen, you are 100% a queen. And that is what it means to be a berry breaking woman, knowing exactly who you are, what it is that you want to do, and never allowing anyone to tell you what you can or cannot be. Kara, you are a queen, girl. And then my second favorite response was from Naya. And she said that to be a berry-breaking woman is to be mentally tough, to push past the adversity, own who you are, embrace it, and radiate it. Oh, I love that. Radiate exactly who you are. Be unapologetic about your goals and how you want to achieve them. Be unapologetic about what it is that you are, your uniqueness, how different you are. Don't look at it as something that is a crutch, but something that is going to propel you forward, something that is going to make you stand out and allow you to be that one, you to be that person that's breaking that barrier. When everyone is asking, why me? You say, try me. And you radiate that energy. You radiate that glow. Naya, that is exactly what it means to be a barrier breaking woman. Continuing on talking about barrier breaking women for this next episode on barrier breaking women, I am talking to an amazing superstar soccer player that is doing just that, breaking barriers left and right while making goals that are out of sight. I will be talking with Allie Riley on this next episode of Barry Breaking Women and excited for you all to tune in. Hello, I am so excited. All my barrier breaking women, we are now tuned into a new episode with someone that I met last week, but instantly became a fan from the moment I heard her speak and was so excited to have her come on. Today's guest is the Allie Riley, an Olympian (laughs) and professional soccer player, defender and attacker. She's played for the Orlando Pride, Chelsea FC in England, captain of the New Zealand national team, where she led the team to a World Cup and was named New Zealand and Oceania Player of the Year and voted WPS Rookie of the Year. Ali, so happy to have you on. I'm so excited. I just connected with you right away and you just inspired me so much and you just like oh, I feel like just such good vibes from you. So it was so funny. I was literally about to write to you. And then when you wrote and were like, do you want to be on my podcast? I was like, I was just thinking of her. (laughs) Oh my God. I love that we had that synergy because as soon as we got off, I I was like, oh my God, God, God. I have to find her. I had to, that was like my immediate thought as soon as we got off that panel. And as what me and Ali are talking about, we were actually on a panel where we were discussing the progression of women in sports. And so we both got to share our input on how we feel like women can continue to move forward, my sport of softball and her sport of soccer. And so we just, we inspired each other from that conversation. Yeah, it was such a powerful panel. I mean, I just got so much like empowerment from it. And I think right now there's so many things going on in the world sport and otherwise that there's so much like that you want to improve and you want to help and it feels so daunting and then I think being on that panel with you amazing women it just gave me like so much strength and just motivation so I'm still like flying high from that and then I know today is going to give me even more like juju to keep going forward (laughs) I love that honestly 
I feel the same. When I'm speaking to just inspirational or powerful women, I just get on this high and I'm like, oh gosh, this is going to get me through my week. Like I feel good after having talking yeah. to you and all the other women that are on the panel. I was so excited. We talked a little bit about as athletes, we tend to not take time to celebrate our accomplishments, no matter how big or how small. So I want to ask you, Allie, how did you mellow win this week? Oh, that's a good question. I totally agree. I don't think we take those moments. I think I'm always thinking of what I should be doing next, how I can help people, what should I be putting out in social media. So gosh, I I think I'm glad you said something because I think tomorrow will have to be a day to like, I've just been so caught up with training and everything going on, you know, and the Asian American community has been like really over my head. So you know, this is why it's so important to talk with someone like you to remind me, like, I need to actually take care of myself. Like, okay, I have my massage gun here. This is like the one thing if I, if I use this for 30 seconds, I'm like, okay, self-care, but like, (laughs) it's not enough. It's not enough. I did watch Ted Lasso and I binged it. And that gave me amazing feelings. Although now I feel very empty that it's over, but no, I was just saying to one of my teammates, like tomorrow we need to get some takeout and just chill and like not think about anything negative and and talk about what an amazing week we had being professional women athletes because we have the best jobs in the world. Best jobs in the world. Really though, being a professional athlete. And I'm with you. My gun has now graduated to my parents. My parents tried it one time. I haven't seen it since. <laughs> so that mus- muscle gun, I love it more than anything. Would you say that's how you feel like you mellow win this week? Your self-care was allowing your muscles to relax. Yeah, exactly. I think (laughs) at least it gives me a chance to feel like I'm doing something for myself and recovery and nutrition. And I think, yeah, having those tools, especially when you invest in yourself with certain recovery, like boots and a complex and, you know, things that I'm like, so happy to spend that kind of money because it's an investment on myself and taking care of my body. And when I feel good, then I can do more good too. So I think, yeah, it's probably, I need to do a little bit more self-care, but at least the massage gun is like a good start because I can't be moving. I have to like be in one spot and maybe like not even have, have my phone. I'm just focused on one thing, which is very rare. Mellow winning by focusing on one thing. And if you No, as athletes, we're always trying to figure out the next, or am I on time? Am I doing this? Okay, there's something else I have to do today. I know it. So yes, mellow win with the focus on one. As we talk about being an athlete and having so many things that we're doing, having many people we want to help, many things we want to uplift, and being an athlete on the go, I want to get up in your business. Is that okay, Allie? Always. Get up in here. (laughs) I want to know what is your power song? What is that one song that just gets you going before games or practices just gets you ready? This is so easy because it has been my song since it came out. I believe it was maybe my sophomore year of college and that is Bottoms Up by Kiki Palmer. I'm probably in like the top 1% on Spotify of people who have listened to that song because I listen to it on repeat every time I run intervals, every time before a game. And like, I mean, I'm 33 years old, so... First of all, your pump up song, I want to hear what is your favorite line of that song that just, when you don't want to do that extra rep, that one line just like gets you going. The whole song is just a winner. So it's just bottoms up, bottoms up, bottoms up, (laughs) bottoms up. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I will say if I need to like, that one gets me pumped up. But if I'm like, need to push out the last rep, then it's work bitch by Britney Spears. <laughs> and Ooh. then, you know, you got to work bitch, like work, work, work. Like it gets you through. <laughs> I love that. Immediately. I first thought about Nicki Minaj, bottoms up, bottoms up. Can I get a little, can I get a little? Mm. Also good. That gets me through sometimes. It gets me through for like ready for after. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> after this, we can, we can get what you need, AJ. <laughs> I want to know what is your one hack as an athlete? One thing that you feel like just allows you to get through every single day. I would say sleeping. Like it's just so important and I can't function when I'm tired. And, you know, I think I have a reputation of being super energetic, super positive. And that doesn't come from, you know, magic. It's because I really try to get nine hours every night. And that's like, you got to turn the phone off. That's it. If I, if I read a book, I fall asleep within two pages. (laughs) I don't know how I got through school. (laughs) I'm the exact same way. If I want to instantly put myself to sleep, all right, AJ, let's read a book. Exactly. But if I'm watching Netflix, I'll watch an entire season, (laughs) even if I'm tired. But I can read a couple of people, although I am reading Trevor Noah's book and it is so good and so funny. So I I stay awake a little bit longer, but no, it definitely, it's the, those screens just keep me awake. So yeah, sleeping and then just get a book. (laughs) And the power of naps. There's nothing like a good nap to power you through. Mm -hmm. Hey girl, let me know some of your game day rituals and or superstitions. I probably was more superstitious when I was in college. I always ate the same. And this is so crazy to think about this now. And I I talk about it with Kelly O'Hara. We played at Stanford together. And, you know, you play on Fridays and Sundays, which now also I can't believe I was able to play those 90 minute games so close together. But before Sunday game at 1 PM, I would probably rock up to like the athlete cafeteria at like 10 or 11. And I would have chocolate chip pancakes (laughs) and scrambled eggs with avocado and cheese. And like, I don't know how that got me through every single Sunday home game. And I, I could never eat that now, but that was like, I had so many more rituals and routines and like would have to take a nap at a certain time. But when I started playing professionally and being on the road and then going to different cultures and different countries, I realized that it would be best for me to let go a lot of a lot of like any superstitions, especially with food when you're in a new country and you don't want to have anything that you rely on too much. So I think for me, I always do visualizations and I lie on my bed and I think of all the things that in a game make me nervous. So going 1v1 at someone, putting in a cross, like under high pressure, defending 1v1 and I think about them and I can feel like my heart start to race and like get that nervous feeling just by thinking about it. And I think about it over and over and over and over again until I can be relaxed while thinking about it. And sometimes I fall asleep. So I always set my alarm for 15 minutes And then after that, I'm just like, boom, ready. So that's one thing. I mean, you could do it on the toilet if you needed to. So like, that's one thing I know I can fit in before every game. Girl, first of all, that just was really inspirational. The fact that laying down, I never thought about that. You lay down and I feel like you envision, or I have, I've envisioned success, right? I envision the perfect story, the perfect outcome. I've never laid down and envisioned what it is that makes me nervous. I've never envisioned what it is that I don't want to fail or what I'm afraid of in order to get through that. And that's really Mm -hmm. what helped you or has helped you in your career. 
Yeah, because otherwise when I'm standing there during the anthem or right before the whistle, the first time the ball comes to me, if, it, if I haven't gone through the scenarios in my mind and visualized them, then I am so nervous. So I get all of that out before. Well, I'm taking that, taking notes. Also <laughs> to your chocolate chip pancakes, I used to eat Dunkin' Donuts with the white icing and sprinkles before every Sunday oh, game. I would drive to Dunkin' Donuts. I could oh never do that now, but that was my Sunday meal. <laughs> Isn't that so crazy? Uh, growing up sucks. All right, well, Allie, I want to know what has been your most embarrassing moment you've had while playing, and also what did it teach you? Okay, one of the earliest things, this is, oh, this is so embarrassing. So... <laughs> When we played these huge soccer tournaments, you know, there's just field after field after field and there's teams everywhere and you're there all day. And then there's always the little stands. I mean, at the time, what is it like lanyards and like, I don't know, hacky sacks and like those blankets with soccer balls on them and shin guards. I don't know. And like, I, I was never allowed to go shopping or, you know, do anything like that. So at these tournaments, I just love like shopping, like it's not shopping. So we were in between games and I'm like going through all the stalls and looking at all the knickknacks and like all the doodads. And then I like turn around and I'm like, oh, those girls have the same uniforms as me. <laughs> My team was playing. We were playing and I was over shopping in the vendor. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So like, I mean, I just wanted to like run home. I don't even know if, I don't even think we were in California, but I was just like, I can't go back now. Of course I had to like jog over it and like, oh my gosh. And my mom was like, where have you been? Like the game started and the coaches were like, were you overlooking at this? Oh my God. That is probably one of the best stories I've ever heard. <laughs> oh my God. I just, you know, the feeling when you turned around and were like, oh, they have the same uniforms. And then I was like, oh, that's Cassidy. Like, that's my team. <laughs> oh, that was. And cool. I was like, oh, wow, that's oh, so cool. I'm just thinking about it right now. I'm like sweating. I'm so what did, what did it teach you? I can only imagine. Don't take, don't look at the knickknacks. <laughs> yeah, no shopping on game day. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. I just, I'm never straying away from the group. When it comes to like, you know, getting ready for a game, don't go off on your own. Oh man. Oh man. I, I, I mean, everyone was looking for me. So it was really, yeah. How old were you? I must've been like 14. <laughs> Girls got a shop. <laughs> I second that. I guess one thing it would teach me is like, okay, let me just stay focused yeah. on my game all day, all day. And wear a watch. <laughs> It was before cell phones. Like this, yes. would, this would never happen now. This would never happen now. <laughs> All right, Allie, I want to pivot a little, little bit. Thank you so much for letting me get up in your business. But I want to say, when was the first time that you really fell in love with your skin and who you are? It's still an ongoing process, definitely. I think I like who I am as a person and I've done a lot of work on who I am as a person over many, many years. And as an athlete, speaking with a sports psychologist has also helped me a lot with kind of overcoming my fears and not you know, thinking I need to be perfect or better than this player, not comparing myself to other, to other people. But I think as a woman and uh, being mixed race and looking a certain way, I think is still a process. I think the way we now are uplifting each other so much in the media, now that there's more representation, I think it's helped a lot. But 
I think growing up, it was so weird, you know, with celebrities or Disney princesses, like obviously when Mulan came out and Disney kind of changed their tune with like the way girls and women were being portrayed was one thing, but you know, every time you talked about movies or or like any celebrities, it was always like, you're Lucy Liu. And I'm like, what if I don't want to be Lucy Liu? And like, I don't look like Lucy Liu, you know, like I loved Britney Spears and just, I don't know. It was such a weird time. I think growing up and not seeing anyone kind of in movies and TVs and singers in that pop culture anyone that looked like me and same, you know, in school, I think there was another Chinese girl, but otherwise, you know, a very, very white school. And yeah, my mom obviously was coming from a different background and we have different values and, and just such a different culture. So I think now I hope, and I hope from my experiences when I have kids that just making sure that they're seeing all different types of people and backgrounds and skin colors and just sexual orientation, just everything. I think that to normalize being, being unique and to normalize everything from, you know, strong women to Asian women in movies, you know, like there's so many things that I wish I had seen as a little girl. And I think that's why at 33, it's still like so cool to see someone like Olivia Munn speaking out for the Asian community with all the attacks going on and just like there are actual like really cool public figures who I can identify with out there. And then when you travel and and are in different countries where again, you stand out for how you look, it's also kind of takes you back a little bit to what it was like when I was younger. So it's definitely a process, but I think it's cool too that I've learned to focus a lot more on the inside than the outside. So I think if I'm happy with who I am as a person and I'm doing good in the world, then I know that that is me. But it's hard in the social media world when you're always looking on Instagram and and seeing so much about celebrities and, and tips about how you should look or how to make your eyes look a certain way or how to make your skin look a certain way. It's hard to not get caught up about it, you know? So I think uh, it's definitely still a process to accept myself and love myself for who I am, you know, inside and out. You are preaching. I would say the process of falling in love with oneself and one's skin, especially when you don't see representation and you're not allotted the individuals to watch that look like you, it can be hard to truly fall in love with who you are. And you talked about you being mixed race. You're Swedish, American, Chinese, and a New Zealander. For you, with everything that you are, what do you feel like representation, had you seen that younger, that would have done for you and your confidence and the love that you would have for your skin? I think if I had seen both more mixed race or Asians in the media, that would have been one thing. But also, I identify so much as an athlete and as a strong woman and seeing athletic female bodies, I think would have also really helped me accept my body. I've been really lucky when I went to Stanford and everyone was super, super open with showering and like, we all looked so different and it was a very like, just throw you in there. And I'm really glad I had that experience because then going to Europe, it's like, everyone's just nude all the time. So I was prepared, but I think I wish I had known that it was okay to not have big boobs or to have strong legs or, you know, to, I don't know, have strong arms. You know, I think I grew up thinking that 
I wish that I was tall and skinny and blonde with big boobs. <laughs> I'm not any of those things, but that's kind of all you saw. And like, that's how a lot of girls in my class looked and they were so popular. And I don't know, I think especially having an athletic body is something that we're now seeing and embracing, but it definitely was not like that when I was growing up. And that would have helped my confidence a lot because I loved sports and I didn't know that I could be a professional athlete, but I knew that it was something that made me feel good and gave me confidence. And being an only child, being around my teammates is what taught me about everything from relationships to, you know, sex. And I mean, these girls helped me so much. And so I'm so glad that I played sports, but I think it would have kind of been easier if I had thought that that was like cooler and that like, it's so powerful. I thought that I was more unusual or, oh yeah, I can be good at sports, but like a guy is never going to like me. You know, it's like, I had, it's the trade-off. Like that was just kind of how us like sporty girls thought. And I don't want anyone, any young girl to ever think that they have less value because they do what they love or because they're strong and powerful and fast and, and excel at something, you know, that should never, you should never be sacrificing something else. And, and of course I didn't, but that was definitely how I felt at the time. Never sacrificing anything in order to know that you can, you can do it all. You can have it all. You can do it all. Look strong, be beautiful, be comfortable in your skin to be able to do it. You with talking about basically your full passion for soccer and how it's truly helped you throughout the times when you didn't feel as confident. How were you first introduced to soccer? So coming from Southern California, everyone is playing soccer, which is really cool. And I know a lot of my friends coming maybe from other places in the country or definitely in Europe grew up playing with boys. But I mean, there are so many little girls playing soccer in the U.S. So I think and in Southern California. So when I was, I think, five and six, maybe I played on co-ed teams. But after that, I was playing on girls teams and, and my dad was the coach and it was the coolest way for us to spend time together. And he never played. He's from New Zealand and he didn't grow up playing soccer, really know anything about it, but he took, you know, the, whatever coaching, very beginner's license he had to have in order to be, to be a coach. And he coached me up until he was my eighth grade assistant coach. And then when I started playing club, you know, he didn't know enough about the game, but it was so fun and he was so fast and I thought he was so good. And, you know, it was always so fun to spend time together. And like, it was just our special thing. And my mom, she just thought we were so bad. Like when everyone just runs around falling the ball. So she said, said to my dad, you know, you, you let me know when, when they're actually starting to play soccer and I'll start watching. So like a few years later, he was like, Bev, Bev, like now, now. So she's like, okay, I'm going to ride my bike to the game. Because if it's not what you say it is, I can ride back home again. <laughs> and so she came and she left. I was probably still only like eight. So um, yeah, it was mine and my dad's thing. And it was, and I loved it. And then of course, again, having that camaraderie and it was like my network. So even when I first, like at five years old and six years old, I just sat on the ground, picked flowers, but then I'd like go to the boys and the girls and be like, Hey, you want to come over on Saturday? Like I was networking and making friends, but I, I wasn't interested in the sport. So it's always been super social for me. And I think that's why I played tennis for a long time, but a team sport is much more my, my vibe. 
That's so fun. I know I played T-ball when I was little and that's all I can remember. Or even just watching now, you watch the T-ball kids play and it's just the picking. Everyone runs for that one ball, right? The whole team goes (laughs) for the ball. And I feel like when I think about being a parent and what that would be like, I don't know if I can go through that phase. I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll work with you, but I'm going to get to the games when you're like at, you know, 10 and you guys actually know what you're doing. (laughs) I will have my margarita. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and I will be with the other parents, but yeah, I probably won't be watching. <laughs> God, I feel like with you, I know you talked about networking and it seems like soccer has always just been so much fun and something that you truly enjoyed. But for women's professional soccer, as it's continuing to grow, I mean, there was a time though when it didn't exist. And from the growth that you've seen now, what are some changes that you would like for soccer to continue to have, especially at the professional level? Yeah, well, you know, I I got drafted out of Stanford and played two years in the second edition of the professional league here after the WUSA had folded. There was a long time, you know, that was when I was growing up, had no idea you could play professionally. There was no access to watching any games because obviously the professional leagues were going on in Germany and Sweden. But, you know, we didn't know that in China. We didn't know that. So I, I had no idea. And then it was perfect timing. You know, my junior year, the league came back. So my senior year, I got drafted. And after two years, the league folded again. So it's like, you know, I've experienced what it's like to become jobless overnight and to have this thing that you didn't know existed and then comes back and everyone's around it, women's sports and the U.S., they came second at the World Cup, but there's this huge excitement about women's soccer again. And then it folded again, you know, and it's just that feeling of like, no one is interested in us or it doesn't want to invest in us. And that was when I went to Europe. And I think I felt that kind of stability there. And it took eight years for me to come back to play in the US. But I think it has grown so much since then. And to kind of sum all of that up, I think what's so important is going to be the media and making sure that there's access to be able to watch and the exposure to be able to watch games and for little girls to know that there is this league here and there are leagues going on around the world and the World Cup and the Olympics and make sure that we have an opportunity to inspire and to create the demand for us also like the sponsorships and the money for players, because I do believe that there are so many little girls who want to play sports. There are so many little girls who are playing sports, but there's this belief for some reason that we're not as good at sports or that no one wants to watch us or that, you know, we're not worth investing in. But I just, so much of the data shows that when we are actually put on TV, that people watch. And I think it's been an interesting experiment too during COVID when when people couldn't go and be at the tournament, they had the Challenge Cup for soccer. The viewership was up 500%, like the most growth in 2020 in any sport. The WNBA, I think was the second. And there was a huge increase in sponsorships. And I think the Women's World Cup in 2019 as well broke all of these records. And so I think that the demand is there and we need to supply it and that will just keep things going. But if we don't have this, like we can't create engagement. It's so hard to inspire these young girls. if like they don't see us because you can't be her if you don't see her. 
And I just think that the media could really help us by first showing games, but also how you treat us when you are broadcasting us, how the language you use, why is it a women's world cup and a world cup? If you're going to call it a women's world cup, I want to hear you call it a men's world cup. And the way you're asking questions of women, the way you're describing us when we're on the field, the things you talk about and the angles. I mean, I was looking at data about at the Olympics, the angles on track runners and volleyball players on the women, the angles they choose to, to sexualize and, you know, to try to, it's so disturbing the way that we're treated. And I think it's just so much about, about media and exposure and the right type of exposure. And that will make sure that those little girls continue to offer that demand. If we keep supplying it, it's kind of that like chicken and the egg, but I really believe that if you supply it, like the demand is there and it also increased demand. A hundred percent. I can agree with you more. I feel like I've had so many conversations with individuals who are saying, well, there's always a chicken and the egg conversation. Is it we give them the, we give them immediate attention and then the revenue or we give them money or is it we wait till they have more fans and then we supply the media attention. And I think there's been, as you spoke on many of them, there's been so many instances in which you show, you put them on TV, people will come, people want to watch these women play, Mm -hmm. just give them something to watch. And as to your point, especially when you're young, you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know that there's these professional women performing and doing all these amazing things, you can't aspire to one day become one of those women. Exactly. My softball league, it's so interesting to talk about how, you know, you got the league and then it folds it was the same thing with women's professional softball. It's been on this long road of trying to remain stable and it all comes down, which doesn't make any sense because college softball is the third highest revenue making sport yet professional softball cannot find its way. It's balanced throughout that. And it just comes down to not having that level of attention that college receives. What do you think we need to do in order to continue to change that narrative, to change the way that the media speaks about us, to change how much they put us on air. What can we as athletes you feel do? It's really cool because I don't think it, it should be our responsibility, but I think a lot of us are taking on that responsibility because we want it to be better for the next generation. And just seeing what former athletes are doing, what current athletes like yourself, you know, with podcasts, with getting involved in different broadcasting opportunities with sponsors and just continuing to push and to push. But it's so cool because I think, whereas maybe the generation that came before us, we're all looking at white men who maybe didn't value what we had to say. Now we're looking at our fellow women athletes who have now moved on and are getting these boss jobs and are now employing us and pushing the narrative and Again, I love these platforms like Highlight Her, Just Women's Sports, like that are putting out these highlights that should be on TV, but you know, they're not, but at least they're getting these millions of views on social media. And it's like, we're not waiting for someone now to give us the money or to give us the attention or to give us the microphone. Like we're doing it anyways. This is where I have like a love hate relationship with social media, but this is where I think it's actually really, really helping us because we're just going out and doing it. We're showing it and then showing that there's money to be made and that there's interest. So I think for us, it's just what we can do is to continue to encourage each other and to empower each other and be proud. Like you say, kind of celebrating our accomplishments. Like 
I'm going to post that highlight of myself or my teammate and it'll probably get picked up and go viral. Like not waiting for the sports center top 10 to finally put something from a women's game on there. Like, no, we're going to celebrate each other and put those highlights and post it and repost it. And I think maybe it's taken a while for us to find that like sisterhood, but we're there now. Like we are realizing how important it is to stick up for each other across different sports, across different generations, across different genres, and to just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And there are the few brands and companies out there who are getting it, not enough. But like, I think those every like little win gives us hope to again, like keep moving forward. And there's just so many of us who are so into this. And imagine like when we all retire and then there's like double as many who are then getting these jobs and opportunities and then just like continuing to pull along. And then hopefully like our male allies will start to like come out of the woodworks and and hop on board. Pushing and pushing and just knowing that we are capable and being able to see that representation and to continue to move it forward and being relentless about what we want to do in order to make it better for the next generation. I agree with you is so important for you. I know you grew up watching your favorite team was the 1999 after watching the Olympic team success. You wanted to be a USA team member. You wanted to be a goalie, I believe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wanted to be a goalie, but you mentioned that you were never invited to the USA camps, but that didn't stop you. And that really only allowed you to continue as we talk about being relentless to move forward to taking your talents to New Zealand What was it like when you playing? I feel like as women, especially women of color, sometimes we feel we have to play with a chip on our shoulder or we just have it naturally because of the circumstances that we are dealt. How did that chip on your shoulder allow you to continue to persevere? And even if you were not being accepted or being offered an opportunity in one area, you took an opportunity somewhere else. I think for me, it was this really eye-opening idea, which I always try to speak about, like you can reach a goal by not necessarily taking a path that other people have taken and you can still, and maybe the goal is not so result-based. Like it was, I want to be, you know, the goalie for the U S women's national team. It's like, no, I want to play the sport I love at the highest level. And that ended up being through my New Zealand citizenship And I think I was like, the better I do and the bigger my platform becomes and the more I can speak about my journey, the more I can actually inspire young girls who maybe reach that, like don't make a club team or don't get into the the D1 school that they were dreaming of getting into or didn't get drafted into the league out of college. You can still achieve greatness and you can still reach the pinnacle of either your sport or like whatever talent you have, even if it's not a path that you thought that you would take from the beginning. And yeah, okay. Not everyone is like lucky enough to have two now three citizenships. That's like, (laughs) I was dealt a good hand, but I mean, now if you look at the opportunities we have as women and how they're growing, that maybe if you don't get drafted to play in the U S league, you can go over and be a boss in England or in Croatia, or in Japan, there's actually so many opportunities now. And maybe you don't make the US national team, but now 
as a professional female athlete, not as an international or national team player, you can still get sponsors. You can still have a huge platform. You can still make money. You can still influence and inspire and be so great. So I think that's where I think my story is really cool. And that's something that continued to motivate me. Whereas like, I can still achieve greatness. I can still play at the highest level, even though it's not (laughs) a goalie since I'm really short and not for USA and no, not winning the world cup or a gold medal, but I can still achieve great things and I can still make the world a better place and push the standards and create change to make it a better landscape in, in women's sport. The power that that holds where your goal can still remain your goal, but the path doesn't have to be the exact path that you envision for yourself. There's so many different ways to get to that goal that you have in mind. Ali, I want to know through that relentlessness and discovering or getting to that mindset, what did you discover about yourself as you were going through that process of there are other ways that I can get to my goal? So many things. I think resilience is probably one of the first. And I think leadership is a close second because I think it it did start with even when I was younger and I tried out for the local club team twice and didn't make it. And then the same, you know, never being called in for the US or, or ODP or any of these development camps and then playing for New Zealand and we still haven't won a game at a world cup and we're always that underdog. And it's like to keep, you know, and we don't make money playing for our country. So it's just kind of that like resilience to always come back when we have these setbacks with whether it's, you know, we had a really, really bad experience with a coach recently. And that was a very, very traumatic experience for the whole team, whether it's, you know, the lack of support financially, we have girls who, you know, are living on cup of noodles because trying to balance playing for the national team, missing their job, missing, you know, time at work, missing school, not making money, the disappointments just of results and not doing well in the world stage. It's just like to have that passion burn so, so strongly to keep coming back because I have that goal always in the back of my mind of wanting to make a difference, wanting to continue to inspire and to be someone that little girls in New Zealand or the US or Sweden or wherever can look up to even when they're setbacks. And then I think too, like, obviously I dreamt of being a star player for the US national team. And I definitely don't have the most skills and I haven't scored the most goals. And I think for me, I started to realize, to think about like, well, what am I good at? And what can, how can I be the best teammate and the best player that I can be not, you know, how she is or who, you know, how they are. And I think that's where like my voice and my probably comes from how the reason I love the sport with that connectivity and social aspect and having fun. And I think for me, I'm always wanting to make sure that my teammates I'm giving, you know, feedback in the best possible way and leading in a way where as many people as possible can feel good and confident and never like dragging anyone down and just finding my own voice as a leader and like the way I want to be as a person and a player and a spokesperson in front of the media as the captain. And I think I just developed skills that I maybe wouldn't have if like my path had been different, you know? So I think being now the captain and we're hosting a world cup in 2023 and like having this opportunity to 
speak out about the conditions we want to have as women soccer players and as female athletes and fighting for equity and all of these things. It's like that path, how it ended up being has actually made me the person I am, but also allowed me then to express myself in the best possible way and maybe create even more change, which I think while I want to be the best soccer player, of course, and the best left back or right back or whatever position they want me to play. I think my actual goal is like to be the best person that I could be and like a good human and someone who's going to affect a ton of change. And yes, they come very closely tied together because the bigger your platform is, the more people you can inspire and doing well and performing well, of course, makes me feel good and confident. And it all like, yeah, it all is related. But yeah, I think the skills that I learned while maybe not being the best soccer player has actually then made me a better teammate and a better captain and the best way that I can represent my country and push for women's equality and social justice. Isn't it interesting how we, for so long, we focus on one goal or one thing that we want to be, just like you wanted to be on the U.S. national team. And when we don't achieve that, it guides us to maybe our true mission in this world, what we truly need to do or what we were truly set out to become. I wasn't invited to any of the USA softball tryouts either. And for me, it was very frustrating because I always felt like I deserved a tryout. You know, I felt like I had proven myself, but I had never been invited to one. But that set me on the course of, okay, well, AJ, what is truly, what are you going to do from about this? Like, are you going to be upset about it? Or is there something that can come? Who can you motivate? Who can you inspire from this? And it truly set me on my journey to talking to so many more young athletes, inspiring that hope and belief that they can be whatever it is and to not ever allow anyone to determine your destiny for you. I think that for you, how you moved forward and with everything and you focusing on your goals and knowing that there's so much more and you becoming this better teammate, athlete, just person in general. I want to know from you, Allie, how does it feel to just accomplish something that you never even said or even think that you would accomplish? Well, my work is certainly not done, but it's like when things become clear, like you're saying, when you realize that maybe the path that you took ended up being the one that was right for you all along, or, or then you made adjustments to make sure that that would be the right place and the right time for you to be. I think it just motivates you. Like when you have purpose, we talked about this on the panel as well. It like when who you are and what you want gets clarified and it feels like you're fulfilling this purpose, it like gives you even more purpose because you suddenly feel like, yes, I'm in the right place actually, even though I didn't think it would be from the beginning. And I have these skills that I maybe gained because things didn't go the way I thought they would be. And now here I am with opportunity to continue to push. And you just, I don't know, it like lights that fire inside you to just give and, and like put positive energy out there because you're like, how lucky am I that I have a purpose and I have skills and I am amazing So I'm going to now give that out and help other people feel the same way. Like, I think that's such a cool, like, I want more young girls to feel this way. I want my teammates to feel this way. I want 
anyone that I, that I work with to like realize who they are and their potential, because it's such an amazing feeling to like, think that you actually can help other people and that you have maybe the, the resources to do it and the platform to do it and the support because you connect with other people who also have this awesome purpose. And I think often we're like maybe coming from different spectrums or different backgrounds and have different skills and talents. But like a lot of us, I think have the same kind of why and the same purpose. And that is like, especially in our generation where we sit is to make the world a better place, a fairer place, and to especially inspire young girls out there. So I think when you start to like accomplish the things that you set out to do and like maybe towards the end of your career as well. Like for myself, it's like, you just want to get out there and reach as many people as possible to like spread that love and spread that energy and make as many connections as possible. So it's like a really cool feeling, but it's also like, I want to keep going. I want to do more. And that's where it can get a little bit tough, I think, because you're like, you have all this energy and you want to start like helping all these people and affect so much change and in every different area. And that's where like, maybe you're like, okay, I actually do want to play this game well. So maybe I should, you know, tone it down a little bit, but yeah, it like brings me to meet people like you and that's what's so cool. And then it gives me even more motivation and energy. I love that our paths crossed. Love it. (laughs) Ali, we are going to talk and move on to being melanated and celebrated. You are someone that deserves all the celebration in the world. And I want to tell everyone about a young 15-year-old soccer player, Bella Ballard. She is from Hawaii and she is kicking butt in soccer. She is doing all the moves, all she, she has all these videos about her drills and how she's focusing on getting better. Ali, what advice would you give to Bella Ballard on achieving all of her goals in the future for a 15-year-old that now can have someone like you to look up to? Oh my gosh. That is so amazing. It sounds just like me. Like I only made my first club team, you know, when I was shopping at 14. So I was a very late bloomer and I just love, I mean, she sounds like the hardest worker. And I think that's your base. You got to be a hard worker and you have to believe in yourself, but out there doing drills, like working on that left foot or right foot and that determination will get you so far. And I think hopefully the way you are and the way I am, we're going to push to make sure that she has so much inspiration and she can watch women soccer players. So she can see and aspire to be like the best players in the world because it'll be right there in front of her. And I just think she already sounds like she's on the right path, but we're going to do the work to make sure that she is so motivated and that whether it's, you know, when COVID is done, you know, access to be able to come watch games or whether it's on TV with hopefully the Olympics coming up and the next World Cup in New Zealand, that there's like all the coolest content and getting so much engagement with your favorite players. And if you have that motivation, the belief, the confidence in yourself, and then of course that hard work, like honestly, the sky is the limit. You can do anything you want to. You heard that, Bella, and everyone listening from Ali, you just work hard and there's nothing you cannot do. Ali, here on Melanated and Celebrated, we have to celebrate you through and through. In 2018, you made history 
along with your teammates with the announcement that New Zealand Football and the New Zealand Professional Footballers Association, when they reach an agreement on equality and parity for senior men's and women's teams. I want to know what went into that agreement and how it felt to be a pioneer for women, especially in New Zealand. Yeah, this was so important for us. And we're actually in the process of renegotiating or continuing the next CBA. So, I mean, this is obviously a huge, huge, huge milestone and hopefully something that can inspire other federations to do the same. I think that's what's so important in being the first or one of the first to show that it is possible to have an equal CBA. And it's been, you know, very intense watching what's been going on with the U.S. women's team and their fight for equal pay. But I think it's hard to compare what maybe in New Zealand in terms of what our agreement has compared to the U.S. But I think just as a statement in terms of having the exact same conditions is so important. And then when the men succeed, we as a federation succeed. When the women succeed, it's we as a federation succeed. And if the men are going to be flying business class, the women are going to be flying business class. And that's something that obviously it shouldn't be groundbreaking, but it is. And I think it was important, again, to have the men agree to the agreement, which again, talking about having the support of male athletes, because you have, I mean, you can't ignore the fact that they have higher status and having their support was really important in terms of negotiating this. But I also think it was kind of just like the first step. And so now together we can make that agreement and the actual details within the contract better. So it was like the first stepping stone. So now if the men want to increase anything, then we will also be increasing. So it like just sets that really good standard and that base for making sure that now we can progress together. There's still a long way for us to go. And I think for in New Zealand as well, This equal agreement, it was a very important first step, but we are going to need a lot more investment and we're going to need a lot of support from our federation in terms of putting on this amazing World Cup. And that's something that's really important for me too, to keep pushing as a small country, but also that I, I feel this responsibility to make sure I'm not just taking it for granted that we have the equal CBA. It's like, what do I actually want in that that's going to guarantee that there's maternity leave that there's the right kind of support for life after football. I can't just sit back and when these kind of agreements happen, like that it just goes over your head. And I think this is also important advice for anyone playing who's involved in a union or you should be involved in your union or at least know what's going on and what's being discussed because all of these decisions and these contracts directly affect you. And you might not realize that until you need it. And I don't want to wait until I have my baby and I want to try to continue playing to be like, oh shit, there's nothing in our CBA about, you know, childcare. So I think this CBA was so important to get, but now I want to be even more involved in negotiating the next one and to make sure I'm using that tool with this equality, but to keep pushing and not just settle for anything that's less than what we deserve. Boom. Never settle for anything (laughs) less than we deserve. And as you talk about just having equal travel or accommodations, people think that these things are small, but it just comes down to showing that we are valued, comes down to showing that we are respected the same way the men are respected. And as you said, 
We don't want to have to hang up the cleats just because we were having a baby and being able to have things in a CBA that allow women to continue playing are so important. How involved were you when this first began, when they first had this idea? Was it your idea? How did it come about? So we're really lucky that our players union, the New Zealand PFA is awesome. And my teammate, now former teammate was super involved in it. And she, she's now at FIFA pro. So she's at the global players union and is like an angel and is fighting so hard for us to get treated the way we deserve. So I think at the time it was more presented like, okay, we're going to have equal CBA. Things won't change that much for like the men or the women, but it's going to be really important that you guys have the exact same. And it was like, okay, cool. Great idea. Like I understood the importance of it, but I didn't think as much about the details and maybe what was missing or what we want to make sure to push for next time. This time around, I'm ready. (laughs) So we've been having a lot of, a lot of talks and I'm on the board. Definitely one of the reps to make sure that, that our voice is being heard continuing to push the boundaries and making sure that we're taking care of. And again, I'm like, it just shows that we're even more amazing because we have kids and we don't make as much money and we're still doing the same things as the men. So I'm like, yes, throw your money at us, but it's not always that easy. We deserve it. Yes. We are burying the children. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh. Really though, you think about it. It's like, we are truly super women in every aspect of that word to be able to do what we do and then go back out on the field. Yes. And not be paid. Like (laughs) we're (laughs) just because we love it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Gosh, I think that everything that you've said, everything you're fighting for, Allie, is truly the epitome of no more dealing with the, it is what it is mindset. No, it is what I make it. And you are changing that game. And that is a part of this podcast that I want to dive into. No more it is what it is. It is what I make it. I want to know a moment in which someone doubted you or told you that you couldn't be or do something and you proved them wrong. Probably the first time when, how I mentioned before, when I didn't make the club team because I was small and weak. Like, you know, I mean, I was a child, but I think that was one of those times when being short and then maybe not like super developed yet, but like I was really fast and I had different skills, but I wasn't appreciated for that. And I didn't fit the mold of what this one coach thought a club soccer player should be. And I think that's like, was super motivating and having my dad as my support system and just, you know, like Bella, like going out and, every day working on all my skills out until it was dark kicking against the garage and my dad coming up with juggling challenges and all of these things just to get better to prove and I guess at the time it wasn't really to prove someone wrong it was like let me do the thing I love at a higher level it wasn't you know so like as a child it's a little bit different and then looking back at it, like the narrative, I think kind of changes in your head because of course you're like, what the heck? Like I wanted to prove him wrong. But like, I really think I just wanted to play club soccer. I wanted to play at a high level. I wanted to go to tournaments and I was being told that I was too small and weak or like short to do those things. And I think that probably started that determination. And also all that time I then spent to improve and develop 
so that when I did make the club team, I was actually one of the best players. And I think that like pure love and that drive, that determination, it got me, you know, here still trucking along at 33 and still loving it so much. Like I do it because I love it. And when I was told I couldn't do it with my friends because I wasn't good enough, it wasn't even, I was good enough. It was because I was too small. Like it was like, what the heck? Let me live Girl. my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> LML. That's my favorite. One of my favorite phrases. LML. I mean, let me live. Come on. Just come on. Let me live. <laughs> Ali, I know on a panel, we talked about how the representation you have being Asian American for so many young girls to see that and say, I can do that too. With everything that is taking place in the country right now with Asian Americans being attacked, mm-hmm. how does that maybe make you feel more proud of who you are, what you're representing? And how does it just feel even seeing those that happening in the news right now? Yeah. You know, I think having a white dad, I definitely have had white privilege my entire life. And it's probably not until recently in the Black Lives Matter movement that I have had that, those uncomfortable conversations with a lot of people, but also that kind of uncomfortable look at myself and like ready to kind of open up. And then of course, what's going on now in the Asian American community, it's like perfect timing, I think, to stand up and be proud of who I am and be proud of my background and also kind of have a wake up call that someone could stab my mom because how she looks when she's walking down the street in California. Like it's obviously something that, that black people have been dealing with for way too long, but it's a very scary, scary, scary feeling. And it's also motivating to like stand up and be like, I have a voice, I have a platform, I have an opportunity to educate and inform people. And I also have this opportunity to embrace my background and be a proud Asian American playing a sport where we don't have a a lot of representation in this country. And to give little girls who are Asian American and love soccer a role model and also to maybe feel also excited about their background and how they look and also that information about what is going on in our culture to maybe obviously we're all going to be scared but to realize that it's okay to talk about it and to talk about being scared and to have someone who's a public figure speaking about those things I think can only help so it's really time for me to embrace that and be brave I think it's all very, very real for a, for a lot of minorities right now. And there's not a lot of representation. It's like even more reason to not being afraid of being the only and to just really, really embrace it because it's not just for me. It, it can be for a lot, a lot of people and a lot of young girls. I love that you said that because I feel like at times when we feel like we are the only, we don't realize the people that we are impacting. We don't realize who is watching and who is saying, AJ Andrews or Allie Riley is doing this, so I'm going to do it too. And she's actually giving me the courage to feel like I can use my voice as well, or I can stand up to these people on my team. And, you know, it seems like sometimes what we do is so small when in reality, it is having a large effect on the bigger picture. Ali, with everything that you have accomplished, everything that you are still accomplishing, the representation that you are aiding to so many Asian American young girls that are going to be amazing soccer players because they have the opportunity to watch you. I want to know you're having a conversation with yourself. 
I want you to tell yourself what you are the most proud of. I am the most proud of how you created your own journey and your own path to do what you dreamt of doing and what you love doing. Even when from the very beginning, there was doubt and maybe not support from, you know, the club team or even your mom when she didn't think you were very good. And you just followed your dream because you loved it so much. And I think not just doing it for yourself, but then now having the courage to, to share your journey and to speak about it on different platforms and with different cool people like AJ, so that even more people will be inspired to also follow their dreams. And even if it took a while that you were working on loving yourself and accepting how you look and who you are as an Asian American and as a New Zealander and also being so open about it so that you can help other little girls and inspire them. Allie Riley. Yes, ma'am. I loved (laughs) all of that. My last question that I have for you is if you knew what you know now, what is your best piece of advice that you would tell yourself? I think what I am still continuing to tell myself, but I wish that I knew it earlier was to, and it's so easy to say, but it really does help to not stress so much about things that you can't control. And I think accepting certain tough situations and finding the best way to give myself positive energy has been really challenging. And I've stressed over a lot of things that ended up working out just how they were supposed to, you know? And like, so when I injured my, I'm right footed and I injured my right ankle so badly. Oh, it was so horrible. And I just was like, I'm going to work on my left foot. And now I'm, I'm left footed. So I mean, things like that, you know, one of my favorite quotes off of what you just said is why there's no point to stressing. If you can do something about it, why stress? If you can't do something about it, why stress? Either way, there is no point to stress it. Yes. That's <laughs> Ali, exactly. I feel like through this conversation, I've gained a deeper insight on how it is to truly get through adversity from everything that you spoke on, whether it is not stressing, finding other avenues, knowing that you can have a goal, but there isn't just one path to get to that goal. Learning that there's always a way if you work hard to try to make that way. And truly you are an inspiration and you are showcasing that loving yourself and loving your, the skin you're in is a process. And it's okay that it is a process. And every day confidence, I feel like is something you have to work at just like any skill as an athlete. It's something that you work at every single day because at any moment it can be broken down, right? So you have to build it up to the point where no one can break it. And every day it is a process, just like getting better is a process. I want to end this wonderful, fabulous podcast with the amazing Allie Riley with my quote of the week. And it just fits perfectly into everything we talked about. The road to greatness is not marked by perfection but the ability to constantly overcome adversity and failure. Failure is only the opportunity to more intelligently begin again. Thank all my BBWs, Barrier Breaking Women, for tuning in. Allie, please let everyone know where we can find you and continue to follow your journey and your success. 
Oh, I'm just still like reeling over that amazing quote. That's just, I love it. It was perfect. <laughs> well, you can follow me on Instagram, Riley3. I also have a food Instagram if anyone wants healthy recipes at love to eat to love. And I also have a podcast called Girls with Balls. And I interview other, my colleagues in the women's soccer world. Oh, I love that. Okay, definitely listen to your podcast. Definitely going to your food Instagram. (laughs) Thank you for that. I am so excited and was so honored to be able to have you on my podcast. I want everyone on my BBWs, make sure that you subscribe, download, rate, and comment. And you can follow myself, AJ Andrews underscore on socials and be looking out for the next episode of Berry Breaking Women. Catch all you BBWs later and keep mellowing it.